Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. On this edition of the Yahoo Sports College podcast, oh, it's overreaction Monday. We'll talk about stressed out Urban Meyer, our Notre Dame UCF and Kentucky for real, and why Pat and I are unusually positive this week. This is Dan Wetzel, joined by Pat Forty. Samuel's not with us. He's traveling back from State College, Pennsylvania. Uh, we'll get his insight on Wednesday. So that's a reminder to subscribe to the Yahoo Sports College podcast. Uh, in the meantime, this is the Overreaction Monday podcast, and so we are going to overreact to everything. And, Pat, let's start with this overreaction. Ohio State, Penn State, epic comeback for the Buckeyes, sets them up at 5-0, and should send them into the Michigan State game in late October at 9-0. and um, The Bucks looked beat, then they weren't. Ben Victor's catch run will be toasted forever in Columbus. Uh, I don't want to go over the game. Most of the people saw it if you listen to this. But this is what stuck out to me, among other things, while watching the end of that game. And let's make this clear. Urban Meyer is, by any definition, one of the greatest football coaches we have. Three national titles at two different schools. Two additional unbeaten seasons when he didn't get to play for the championship. He just wins and wins and wins. It is a complete machine. Which is why... I find it so weird watching him clo- coach close football games. Every time the cameras went to him on the sideline, he appeared to be either in a state of panic <laughs> or pain. Like at one point, he was in, he he did the surrender cobra. He did. He, he did, did the surrender cobra pose. At another point in the fourth quarter, trailing twenty six fourteen, he admitted after he looked up. Saw the scoreboard, saw all the white pom-poms, and thought, yeah, this game is over. Uh, after the game, he appeared to not know that the final Buckeye drive was 96 yards. Like, he didn't quite know they were on the four. Right. I don't know whether it's just him being him or whatever, but it, it's clear in his face. When he bends over and puts his hands on his knees to watch, like, a critical play, it looks like he's about to collapse. I know. Like, I Remember, he, he did that. He actually did collapse in like an overtime classic against Michigan a few years ago. Now, again, this is this is the elite coach. We don't have anybody better than this guy. But when you see Nick Saban, Bill Belichick, Pete Carroll, I don't know, you go back to Bill Parcells or Steve Spurrier or, or any of these coaches, no matter how tense the game, 
They look completely in control and, and, and unflappable. How bizarre is it that Urban Meyer looks like I would look if I was trying to coach <laughs> the Buckeyes? And yet it always works out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he wins like 11 games out of 12 every year, and he still looks like he's just steeped in misery and in stress. And it, it is bizarre. It really is. I mean, he wears – I've, I've said he's my favorite narcissist, and I, and I use favorite loosely, but not narcissist loosely, because I just think that he thinks that everything that happens to him is so colossally important, and that includes dealing with the stress of these football games, and it just – I mean, I can see why he had the burnout case in 2010, you know, when all of a sudden Nick Saban – got got up on him and and he just couldn't handle it but uh i mean it is strange that as, as much as you know golly and that's the thing where we go back to the narcissism i mean we have talked and talked and talked for years about his mental state and his mental health and his renewed perspective and all that sort of thing but i'd watch him and i i don't see a guy with a whole lot of perspective out there i see a guy who's looks like he's going to collapse every single play it's crazy yeah it, it's just totally bizarre and again i, I i'm I'm not, I don't mean to pick on him because this is his true emotion. And I I like that, right? Like we want to see these different characters. I've just never seen someone that successful. Like if he was losing these games, everyone would be like, this guy does not have the makeup to be a football coach. Right. Like he's, his teams take on his personality of sheer panic. And and just, uh, he just looks so upset and just troubled. Yet his teams are unbelievable in the clutch. Yeah. It's like everything we're we're told matters doesn't matter when it comes. Like he gets it all done during the week, and then he's out there, and it doesn't look like he has any idea what he's doing. Yeah, right. And uh, and they just they guys are just like, yeah, it's cool. We got this. Like yeah, we're down down two scores at ha- Happy Valley. They got a whiteout. You know, coach thinks it's over, but we don't. Yeah, we got it. We're gonna go seventy five <laughs> yards on one drive and ninety six on the other, or ninety four, yeah. whatever. I mean, it's like unbelievable. Yeah, Dwayne Haskins doesn't care. I mean, yeah. it is crazy to watch him coach. Yeah. I mean, I know. Look, he has an incredible staff. I mean, Ryan yeah. Day is clearly knows what he's doing. And I think when he kind of took a more assertive role in this play calling and stuff, they really got going. Kevin Wilson, co-offense coordinator, was a really good coach at Indiana. Greg Schiano was a really good coach at, at Rutgers and mm-hmm. coached at the, in the NFL. That's their defense. I mean, they got an unbelievable staff and sports system. So, there's that. And, you know, I mean, if this is how he does it, it's just it seems it's it's like nothing I've ever seen with with any other coach. And I, I wonder what other coaches think when they watch him over there, because that when he gets that knee, when he grabs the knees and like bends over, I, I'm, I keep waiting for him to just tip. over. Yeah. Yeah. And that's yeah. Like you said, when he finally did tip over and just go face down in that Michigan game. Uh, but no, that's you know, he was he was throwing off the headset, yelling at people last night, you know, because there was things were getting chippy and there were some penalties and it looked like he was just going to combust over there for a while. And uh, it is very unusual for a guy to be that successful and look that insecure, I guess you would say, on the sidelines during games. Whatever it is, keep doing it. Yeah. I mean, you're winning 90% of the games or more. Yeah. I mean, but it's just, it's 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 unbelievable. And then really in this game, you know, James Franklin looks like a normal football coach over there. I mean, they ru- they all run around a little. Yeah. But, you know, he's Mr. Cool. And, you know, at the end of the game, they got a key fourth and five, and they run the ball. 
<laughs> and and McSorley's making plays. I mean, yeah. you go, well, they're the ones who gagged it as a coaching staff, not not Urban Meyer, well, who you know looked like he needed a nap. Right. But that's the thing too is is Franklin timeout timeout to 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 gag it. You know, I mean, you call a couple of timeouts and you come up with that. Uh, that was incredible. You take the ball out of Trace McSorley's hands when he's had as good a game as I've seen a Penn State quarterback have since Kerry Collins. I mean, he was phenomenal. And I just, I, the, the last thing I would have done was have somebody other than Trace McSorley making the play on that, that fourth down. Yeah. I mean, I was kind of, uh, uh, you know, maybe the game's lost or not, but that was a, uh, that's gotta be one Penn State's going to spend the rest of Cause they're pretty much boxed out of the playoff again. Um, I don't really see how they make it, even if they if Ohio State somehow lost twice, yeah. and and Penn State got I don't know maybe because you lost close to Ohio State, but you need you basically need Ohio State to lose to uh, two games. That's just not happening. No, that's so very you know, hard to see happening. And that's the thing it, 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 you don't have much on the on the non conference resume. You know, if, if, if it's it's very much an uphill battle for uh, Penn State to get back into this thing. They had it, they had their chance, same as last year. I mean, they had it and let it get away, and it's just that's where it's incredible the playmakers Ohio State has that just come out, you know, these athletic freaks that make these plays. And Penn State, uh, they have had some some ugly fourth quarters here in this uh, rivalry. This was the one, man. McSorley was playing so well. The place is rocking. I mean, you're at home. It's not on the road. You know, and I know, look, Ohio State, it's like Clemson and, and Alabama. They can just lose guys. But, you know, Nick Bosa is – how many teams can just lose a Nick Bosa and just be like, ah, that's all right. One. We got another. Uh, we got another guy. Alabama's yeah, the Alabama can. Yeah. Yeah. We got another Nick Bosa laying around here somewhere. <laughs> call call the next one. Yeah. Um, You know, and so that's just – you know, how, how crushing of a loss is this for Penn State, which, you know, look, we spent all last week talking about how – um, far James Franklin has taken the program and how, you know, this thing is humming now uh, on all cylinders in a way it hasn't in a long time. Because those last years of, of uh, Joe Paterno, as much as they sometimes would have a really good team, like, you know, you had a, a head coach who barely recruited and, and things like that. Like, this is what Penn State can be, but they can't get over that hump right now of, of Ohio State. And this one really stings because now you got – all right, maybe we can do it next year, but that's going to be at the horseshoe. Yeah, right. No, it's and then you're going to lose McSorley. And I will say, I wrote about it last week. You know, the, the one thing that has impressed me with Franklin is they have been able to replace major staff losses, uh, Saquon Barkley, and still stay really good. But boy, three year starting quarterback that's doing everything for you. That's that's going to be a big loss to overcome. And as you said, you're going on the road there, and we all know Ohio State's got. 18 more five stars to roll out. Uh, so it's, uh, it's tough, very tough for Penn state. I, you know, James Franklin went on this long, almost a filibuster after the game about, you know, how they, they're going to keep pushing until they get it. And the, it, it was like almost everything to avoid talking about that fourth and five call, uh, which he did. He did say that's on him hundred percent on him, but he went into a lot of uh, philosophical, I guess you would almost say mumbo jumbo, to avoid the nuts and bolts of that ghastly uh, 12 point lead that they lost. Yeah. I thought his comments after were a little weird. And I, I feel like the guys in the locker room hear that. And it's just like, cause it was all like, I'm going to work to, 
to do this, to, yeah, like to create the culture that will win us these games. And I just wonder if you're a player, like you're sitting there listening to this going like, well, you know, maybe if you like, it's not the culture that's the problem here. We just didn't make a play. Right. We, you know, we blew maybe some maybe tackles. Maybe it was the play calling. Maybe it was yeah. a guy blocking. Like, yeah. these guys take these things and make it into this huge, like, you know, hey, we catch one more pass. Right. We make, we make one more block. Mm. We win. I don't know if that has anything to do with, like, did you all get at the offseason conditioning by 545 a.m. <laughs> on February? You know, right. they act like that's what creates this. Uh, it's like, I don't know. Yeah. You know? No. How about Ohio State's really good, man? Yeah. They're really hard to beat. Yep. Nobody beats them. <laughs> There's a reason, you know. No, that's the thing. Yeah, this <laughs> it's was not a culture, coach. He was uh, very far afield with the uh, with the 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 mumbo jumbo stuff there, as opposed to the, again, yeah, make a tackle in the open field. Uh, don't run the ball on fourth and five into the teeth of a ridiculous defensive line. You know, they, there's there's much more right. tangible reasons why they were one point and one play away, basically than right. February conditioning. Get Dwayne Haskins to turn pro. <laughs> yeah. That'll help. Yeah. That'll help. Um, all right. The other big game Saturday night, um, which because it wasn't as exciting, I don't think got as much attention, but Notre Dame Stanford was, um, you know, equally impressive environment and all that. I really, uh, it was a great Saturday night to sit at home and watch football. Um, look, this was thorough and impressive by Notre Dame. 38-17. Uh, center Alex Bars really is their key to their offensive line, maybe gone for the season. So this could be a big blow for them. Yeah, he is done. But ACL I'd, that came out today. It's done. All right. He's done. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw a terrific football team there. I mean, that move to Ian Book at QB, that's a, le- a legit offense. They've had 500 yards per game the last two games. And I know everyone was like, well, 500 against Wake. Well, 500 against Stanford is pretty good. And the defensive line is good. Um, it's still some hurdles. It's a long season. You don't have bars. You know, I don't think Notre Dame is, is you know, they don't have that depth of talent like Ohio State, but they're 5-0. and They're going to be favored out. Um, You know, what do you think about the Irish? What were your thoughts on that game and where they're heading? Yeah, super impressive. And as we discussed last week, it's it's laid out for them. They've got the path. I, I, would, I would take Notre Dame's path to 12 and over anybody else's in the country right now. Uh, they, they should be favored in every remaining game. Uh, they are playing extremely well. The Ian book change. Absolutely. And I was like, to me, Brandon Wimbush wasn't bad, but he was very mechanical. It was like he had to think through everything and it was almost like paint by numbers. And this guy's just kind of out there. He's improvising. First of all, he knows what he wants to do, but then if it's not there, he can make plays on the run. Uh, he's, he's, he's just a heck of a little quarterback. You know, he's, he's nobody's, you know, five-star superstar guy. He doesn't, he's not six, five. He doesn't have a howitzer arm, but it doesn't matter. He makes a ton of plays. Uh, and that offense really clicks with him. And I go back, I give credit to Brian Kelly's recruiting, uh, which has been excellent because I mean, this is a team where you think you're going in with one quarterback. He's not the guy. Well, we got another one who's really good. And they've had four different leading rushers so far this season. Dexter Williams hadn't played until Saturday, and all of a sudden he goes for 121 yards, or maybe it was 161. I don't remember. Uh, I think it was 161. They've got guys that can catch the ball in traffic, make contested catches. They've got that offensive line. You mentioned they'd lose Alex Bars, but they've got a couple other really good linemen. Uh, Brian Kelly's recruiting is the point where 
year after year, they've got a lot of talent on the field. And uh, I, I, I just I think their situation sets up very well for them in October and November. Let's look at Notre Dame as they, they usually have a lot of – now they've had the linemen, clearly. Last year they had two top, I don't know, whatever, 15 draft picks off the O-line. And they have great O-linemen. Sometimes they have great tight ends. They get a guy every once in a while on defense. But for the most part, I always look at them as like their recruiting class is like we signed 22 players, 18 four-stars and four three-stars, like no yeah. no fives. You know, they'll, they'll, maybe you'll get a QB or somebody who's a five-star, but he doesn't he often doesn't even turn out. Mm-hmm. It's just all these solid dudes, and but they got a lot of them. And a lot of times that that'll get you just good enough to get beat in a big game because you need – that that star playmaker and um but you know book kind of gives him something that yeah maybe he was a three-star recruit but he you know he's not just like okay i'm, I'm gonna throw right no it in there i'm running like he's no. definitely making he, he there's definitely a more sophisticated offense and brian kelly for all of you know say whatever you want about brian kelly and you can i mean the guy can coach you won two national titles in division two like <laughs> You know, you got a coach to win that thing. He he had the unbeaten season at Notre Dame without a great, you know, yeah. was not a great team. Uh, they win a lot of games. And, you know, he, it, it did not surprise me when they had their, what did they win the, a couple years ago? Three? Uh, four. Games. four. Like, they had a terrible four. year. Yeah, they had four. one. Four. Yep. And, and, and same with Michigan State. It was like they both bounced back. And that's like usually a coach can't bounce back. Right. Like when things go bad and a guy's been there a while and also they win four, they're done. Right. Yep. Mark D'Antonio, Brian Kelly, both are like, yeah, we got this. Let me write this ship. They always say, I'm going to write the ship. We'll get right back to the what made us great. They almost never do. Right. Uh, Notre Dame has done that, and that isn't easy. Yeah. That is not easy. No, it's uh, it's impressive. He really is. He is a very good coach who, you know, when you're at Notre Dame, they still somehow, you know, think it's the 1960s when you should be – you know, in the top five every single year and competing for a national title. Uh, it's not that way anymore. I think Brian Kelly's as good as you can reasonably expect to have as far as year in and year out, you're going to be pretty darn competitive. He said that the one blip, he remade his staff after that, got a better staff on board, and uh, and now they're right back. You know, last year they were 9-0, and I believe. Uh, you know, they were in the mix for a while. They had the 12-0 and season in 2012, so – uh, Notre Dame, I, I know Jack Swarbrick, uh, wants to keep Brian Kelly as his coach for as long as he can. Yeah. At Vatech is going to be uh, a big one. You know, what is also funny about Brian Kelly is we talk about Urban Meyer on the sideline. You can almost see Brian Kelly ready to blow his, his head off, right? He's ready to blow a gasket at all times and like grab a player and start screaming in his face. And then you can almost see him like, like going through his anger management class <laughs> checkpoints. Yeah. Yeah. Like him, he's like, yeah. count to 10. <laughs> think about puppies. <laughs> Keep your hands he's ready to throw. Don't, yeah. Don't throw that headset. Right. You have like this, you know, female trainer, manager behind you. Some nice girl That's from right. Joliet. Hold the, th- <laughs> okay. yeah. Just he's, hold the play sheet. See him. Just hold like, the play sheet. The camera the is probably sheet. on me. I sat there and went through this with Swart, but don't, yeah, just hold. It's white knuckle. He's just like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I haven't seen the purple face in quite a while. He had the famous purple face, you know. Oh, yeah. No, he's he's breathing. Like, whatever they did with him, wherever they sent him for, like, (laughs) reprogramming. (laughs) 
There's like a factory in Elkhart. You had to go in there and just sit in there, meditate in an abandoned factory. I don't know what happened, but he's definitely, he's breathing. It's good. It's good Mm -hmm. to see. Yeah. Keep on, Brian Kelly. Keep it up. We don't want any of this. All right. Meanwhile, another of the potential contenders who may or may not be contenders, Central Florida, annihilated Pitt, 45-14. It was never close. Um, I know it's just Pitt. Uh, but they beat Pitt the way really good teams are supposed to beat Pitt. So, and I always think that that matters. Other people are like, oh, it's just Pitt. Of course you blow them out. No, you don't always, of course you blow them out. First off, Pitt beat Clemson a couple years ago. Pitt's not that bad. They beat Pitt like Penn State beat Pitt. Yep. Um, they beat soundly. Now, the Hurricane took away their chance to play North Carolina, which probably also would have been a beatdown. I don't know where they get a game to turn heads. But how many games in a row does Central Florida have to win? You know, I think they're 12th this week in the coaches poll. Like, how many you got to win before it's like, all right, <laughs> here we are. I mean, what do you got to do? Uh, they can't do anything but play the teams that will play them. Right. And, I, I, you know, can they get there? And, and, and how – I mean, I know the backlash will be enormous to even, to even say this, but what do they got to do to be on that play, playoff list? Yeah. Well, I mean, I look at it this way from their perspective because I looked this up today. They're like, yeah, they're 12th in one poll, 13th in the other. Last year at this time, they were unranked. So they're a lot further along than they were last year. They established their credibility last year, and now they keep winning, keep winning. And I see, so yeah, I, I give them a lot of credit for just pulverizing Pittsburgh. Um, they It does stink that they don't get the North Carolina game. But, they, I mean, they have beaten the crap out of everybody they've faced this year. They've done – really everything they can do so far. They're obviously going to need help in front of them, and there's still some of that voter, you know, like, okay, well, Penn State lost. We're going to drop them. Oh, but we're not going to drop them below UCF. You know, right, right. They're, they're, there's that ceiling there or that they, they, uh, they, can't, they have not yet gotten through. They're going to need help. They're going to need teams to lose. But here's the thing. At the end of the season, in their division right now, Cincinnati is 5-0. and has beaten a, a, a Power 5 school. South Florida is 4-0 and and has beaten two Power 5 schools. So there's going to be some games. They play those two, the last two games of the regular season. I hope both those teams keep rolling and those games really become, you know, so important to watch. And I hope the committee watches because I, I, I am a believer in McKenzie Milton for sure, the quarterback at Central Florida. And I think they're a darn good program and at least deserve – uh, to be monitored closely and given a shot at at least getting into the conversation here. Yeah, and the reason we have a committee, and I, I will believe in the committee, even though they, they let me down sometimes, is they're supposed to not be worried. Like, they're supposed to sit there and go, oh, yeah, well, of course they beat North Carolina. Like, the voters were the ones to be impressed. Well, they beat a Power 5 school. Like, is North Carolina a Power 5 school right now? <laughs> like, kind of. Kind of. It's, I, I mean, I would, is anybody scared to play North Carolina? No. You, if you, you, if your favorite team could play North Carolina this week or South Florida, you pick North Carolina. Absolutely. You know, like so. You know who? You, who cares? Right now, that's we'll see. Yeah. You know, we'll see. But they're supposed to be able to get past that uh, for the whole thing. So. Yeah, that's you know. And I, I don't need bells and whistles. Nope. The committee is supposed to be above the bells and whistles. That's right. Um, all right, here's another one. Kentucky, unbeaten. And I don't know if they're a threat to make Atlanta, but they're going to play Georgia, and the winner is probably going to Atlanta. And so 
They have wins over Florida, Mississippi State, and I watched a bunch of this game Saturday night also. A really solid over South Carolina. Not spectacular, but I was like, you know, this Kentucky team is is good. Now, Pat, you have lived in Kentucky for a long time. You covered Kentucky for a long time. It's always had potential. And I think the key is they are getting a lot of recruits and have under Mark Stoops from Ohio, which sits on their border and has a ton of players and that might want to try playing SEC football. And I, like I look at a running back like Benny Snell and say, that's a Michigan state or Iowa or somebody running back that isn't at Michigan state or Iowa. Um, but he's from Columbus, Ohio, and that's it. But why are the cats finally getting it right? And, and I don't need them to win the sec to have this be a great season for Kentucky football. Why are they finally having a great season? Yeah, they. Uh, I mean, like you said, first of all, they have had a ton of recruiting successes. But here in year six, it took Mark Stoops a while, but he's got this thing built like an SEC team. They're physical. They're tough. They run the ball. They're the number one rushing offense in the SEC right now. And they can, they're decent against the run. They're number seven in rushing defense in the SEC. But if you look at where they used to be, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, uh, they're improved in that area too. They've got a quarterback who can make plays with his feet, which I think is also important when you're facing, you know, some freakishly athletic defenses. And uh, they've got experience too. They've kind of put this thing together. The offensive line is good. Benny Snell is a horse. Uh, hoping to talk to him this week and do a story on him. And they've been able to uh, to kind of hitch their wagon to him, and and they're going a long ways right now. I mean, that it, it they may not keep it up, but. You know how rare this is at Kentucky? The last time they were 6-0, and Bear Bryant was the coach. It was 1950. So, Wow. Yeah. How about that? Um, I like it. I like seeing that. Um, and you can, I like seeing when teams teams jump up and Kentucky is there. It's almost like this year I, you couldn't believe in Kentucky because you can never believe in them, but here they are. Right. Um, all right, here's a team to not believe in. Nebraska. <laughs> Too much positivity on the podcast. I agree. Thus far, I'd like to say. Time to get back yeah. to our negative roots. Uh, I'm sorry. If you look, you know, I mean, it was kind of a good weekend. Good games, good victories. Um, uh, not for Nebraska, though. Cornhuskers <laughs> lost again. I think it's eight in a row. Eight in a They're row. They're 0-4 this year. They lost big to Purdue. They are the third most penalized team in the country, so they are almost leading the nation in something. <laughs> Um, which is good. Terrible days in Lincoln, no question. Here are some quotes after the game from Scott Frost, first-year coach, okay? And then uh, I'll, I'll pose a question to you. We look like one of the most undisciplined teams in the country, and it kills me. I'm tired of coaching an undisciplined team. I don't want to be the only one who, could, who won't put up with it. The team has to not put up with it. Uh, let's see. This is the second time we've lost with almost 600 yards of offense. That's not supposed to happen. It actually happens sometimes. Um, but it happens when you make all those mistakes. It happens when you beat yourselves. We are not going to win as long as these things are happening. Uh, of the players, they look like they love losing, he said. Uh, now, look, Frost may be correct, although I really don't think the players love losing. Uh, but is he helping thing? I have my opinion, but I want to hear yours first. What point is enough enough here? And he's not motivating the players, but playing to the frustrated fans and the peanut gallery and throwing his guys under the bus, or is Nebraska in need of some, uh, some honest assessment from their uh, head coach? Well, I'm sure they need some honest assessment, but this is like week three or four in a row of quote unquote, honest assessment from him. 
and I think, yeah, it's getting to the point where he's he's got to chill and just be quiet and maybe find a way to minimize his own public disgust at the way things are going and just say, you know what? We're trying. We're going to get better. Uh, yeah, I'm pissed it hadn't happened yet, but you know, let's the 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 depths to which he is going to rip everybody. You know, it's it's pretty remarkable week after week here, and uh, eventually, I think it becomes counterproductive. And the, if if the players haven't already had a hard time buying in, they're going to check out in a hurry if this is the uh, this is what they're getting from their coach. I think, uh, I, you know, and I'm not one for coddling people that don't perform well, but I think at some point in time, when you have beaten the horse three-fourths dead, uh, you might want to let up and, and let the thing see let you see if you can at least limp past somebody and get a victory somewhere along the line. Yeah, I mean, look, I get the frustrations on the penalties, but that's often a sign of coaching. Yeah. Um, I obviously don't know what's going on in practice and stuff. I am with you. I don't really feel like players need to be coddled and things like that. However, these guys are all highly successful in everything else they've done. And then they got to Nebraska. They didn't go there to lose. Like they bought in and were excited to join this, this tradition and coming to get embraced by the state and all the positives that Nebraska brings. And they're getting none of it right now. Like this is a miserable and it's their senior year or their junior year, whatever it is. You only get four years or only a couple playing usually. And like, you know, they didn't, Somebody offered them a scholarship to come there. You know, they didn't hire the coaches. They didn't do this or that. And I just feel like at some point you got to just look, our kids are great. We're working. You can kill them in the locker room. Yeah. But when you're playing out to that, especially that fan base that just hangs on every word. Right. And have always been so positive about their players. It's like, well, these guys aren't worthy. It's all these guys fault. And I just can't stand the, you know, they look like they love losing, man. That's just, you know, these guys aren't, they aren't getting paid, right? Now, they had the scholarship and all that. I get that. So they're getting something. But, you know, this isn't ripping an NFL team that doesn't do it. You know, like, I just, yeah. I hate the idea that guys aren't, like, they're motivated. They're trying, I, I assume. And uh, I just, I think at some point it's like, look, this season's obviously a lost cause for Scott Frost. He needs to spend his time, you know, building it up the best he can. But, I, again, week after week of this, it's, you know, how about spending your time talking about the, the great job they did on offense? Yeah. The 600 yards and, and, and work on the, work on the, the penalties in practice. You got to figure out how to cut your penalties. Yeah. But now that, you know, and here's the thing too, is, is there's been, there's a lot of mythology around frost cause he's a Nebraska glory days guy and he's from there and he's coming home. And, you know, I think a lot of the fans at least thought they would be better than last year. And so far, they're worse than last year, which is really bad. But I think Frost might have bought into his own mythology a little bit here. You know, I'm going to come in and things are going to be different. And you're going to see and we're going to be back to the tough Nebraska. Well, maybe not so fast. And I don't think he's handling that terribly well. And I don't think the fans are handling that terribly well. And so now it's become who can we blame? And, I, you know, it's, that's a pretty vicious cycle to get into. And I will say this. From personal experience, and it was only high school football, but Gary Barnett, the Northwestern and Colorado coach, took Northwestern to the Rose Bowl, was my high school football coach, and he left to go coach college before my senior year. New coaching staff comes in. They don't know us. We don't know them. They're immediately changing everything. 
we did not handle it very well, and they didn't handle us not handling it very well. And we went from you know ten and two every year to three and seven. Uh, it was not good, and we right. we basically checked out. And that's kind of probably what he might be dealing with there. Yeah, and yeah, I just it's like it's supposed to still supposed to be fun, and I, I know losing's not fun, but uh, maybe he can chill out a little bit. So he does not win the Heisman. Scott Frost does not get my Heisman <laughs> vote this week. But speaking of which, it's time, Pat, for a small sample Heisman winner. Small, small sample, sample size. Small sample size Heisman winner. Yep. Um, who you got? Who, based on yesterday's performance, should have won? Should win the Heisman? Yeah, I'm because we have to rank the Heisman every week. That's right. So I'm. Uh, who should win? I'm going actually to Thursday night, and oh, okay. Nikosi Perry, the freshman quarterback who took over as the starter uh, the week before for Miami. You know, Miami had gotten off. They they lost. They were bad against LSU. Uh, they beat Savannah State. They beat Toledo, but they still weren't really clicking. They made a change. They go to this freshman quarterback, and he's been really good so far. Uh, he was very good against Florida International, and he was good against North Carolina. He didn't have to do much against North Carolina because, man, turnover chain was out in force. They had six takeaways, three defensive touchdowns. Uh, but Perry seems to have really kind of energized some uh, – some people there at Miami. So small sample Heisman, Nikosi Perry, you're the guy. Good job. All right. I'm taking Chase Bryce. Ah. Clemson, Clemson <laughs> Tiger quarterback. Last spring, Chase Bryce, or last way, I don't know, whatever, whatever it was. He was fifth on the Clemson depth chart. <laughs> right. And this was one hell of a depth chart. <laughs> Kelly Bryant, Sarah Cooper. Hunter Johnson, and finally Trevor Lawrence was the hotshot recruit coming in, the latest. Yep. Uh, since then, Cooper left for Jacksonville State. Johnson went to Northwestern. Bryant played four games and then announced he was transferring when he lost the job to Lawrence. Now, Bryant may be able to come back. I don't know. I doubt it, but he could. Uh, then Lawrence got hurt in the first half of the Syracuse game. Clemson's trailing and who do they got to go to? But Chase Bryce, who only like, you know, Tiger Illustrated recruit Knicks knew who the guy was. <laughs> and here we go. Now I'm going to tell you, it's not far from perfect. Seven of 13 for 83 yards. It was a pick. There were two sacks, but Clemson won. Yeah. <laughs> and that's all that matters. Hey, he had a huge, and he made two what? big plays to take them on their winning drive—a fourth and six throw, and then a big fourth run. and six. Yeah, huge play. So he is my Heisman winner, and it is a, a testament of this. He stared at a unlikely situation he was ever going to see the field, and he stayed the course. And here you go, the Tigers <laughs> need you, and he comes in for this epic victory. Uh, that's good stuff because everyone else bailed. Pretty much everyone has bailed on this concert, except this guy who's like, against all odds, was like, I think I'm going to stay. I think I'm going to stay. <laughs> yeah. It's like, no, you're not going to stay, Chase. You should leave right. because Dabo just get two more guys. Yeah. But nope, he stayed, and here he is. So I don't know how long he's going to be the quarterback. We'll see how all the injuries turn out. Uh, but this week he wins my Heisman Trophy. Small sample size Heisman. So good job, Chase. And uh, Clemson still in it, wobbling. They are wobbling, but they're still in it. All right. Actually, we should probably swap uh, swap this around and make it say something mean because maybe it's just not having Pete around. We're just all in a better mood or something. (laughs) I don't know. We've been extremely nice on this podcast, but 
just to make it even nicer, Pat, say something nice. No. This is the time of the podcast. We make sure we're not all negative, uh, the dark hearts that we have. So say something nice about somebody. No, I refuse. I, we, it's, it's been too nice, and so I'm going to say something mean instead. Let me see. Well, actually, let me see if I can find a nice way to say this. Um, <laughs> Bobby Petrino did not actively shave points, to the best of my knowledge, in Louisville's game against Florida State. <laughs> So congratulations to Coach Bobby Petrino for that. That's my niceness. That's as nice as I can put it after the disaster. Kind of like it. The disaster yeah. he coached. Uh, they're, they are icing the game against Florida State. And Louisville's bad. And we know Florida State's bad. But this is a chance for Louisville to win a game and feel good for the first time this season. And they've got a first down at the, uh, I think as the, inside the Florida State 30. There's two minutes to play. Florida State has two timeouts left. Louisville's up three, run the ball three times, make them use their timeouts. If you don't get a first down, you kick a field goal, you're up six, you kick the ball deep, and Florida State's going to have to go 80 yards with no timeouts. Uh, But no, Bobby the genius calls a pass with his very erratic quarterback who throws it straight into the chest of a Florida State player, and five plays later, Florida State scores the winning touchdown. Worst play call of Bobby Petrino's life, but he didn't shave points. If, if if he was, this would be one way to do it. Now, we know we, yeah. we we're going to say he wasn't, but this would be. It way. would be. It would be. But I'm going with he did not. He did not. Okay. All right. I am going to stick with this cheery, um, you know, cheery uplifting bit as we enter October. I don't even recognize I say you. Something. I, I'm not sure I who you are. I don't even recognize you. I had a crushing uh, failure to win on the golf course today, and I'm trying to overcome it with positivity. Wow. Uh, so wow. that is my way of doing this. Uh, hmm. I'm just not thinking about all the putts we could have had and we didn't. So uh, I, I, I know how the, the down and out coaches and athletes feel. And I think that's really, I have a, a kindred spirit here with them. So I'm going to say something nice. I'm going to say it about West Virginia Mountaineers. Okay. 4-0, 2-0 in the conference, beat Texas Tech. And, you know, there's a lot of heavy lifting to he- come ahead in the Big 12. But. They are pretty good. They're in the top 10, number nine, I think, in the coaches poll. Um, and I guess it's really that uh, this program has proved resilient and, and and solid with this oddball marriage with the Big 12, which is, you know, a Texas-based, Oklahoma-based league. And they threw in West Virginia out of nowhere. They're an outlier geographically, cold, everything. And I wondered if they would fall apart being so far from the other schools. They had to take the lifeline, but they, it makes no sense. Yet there they are, uh, this little little state, uh, no in-state talent, so far from all these behemoths out in Texas and Oklahoma and, and the other spots. And they're still kicking, man. Um, we'll see how would they do. They've had some ups and downs. I mean, seven and six last year wasn't great. But they look a lot more like a 10-win 10, 10 team than they were in 2016 uh, than they do like the 7-win team last year. So barring collapse, West Virginia, good job so far. And good job keeping your program up to uh, a really competitive standard that I think was was not certain when you made this move to the Big 12. And now it almost makes it almost feels like natural to think of West Virginia the Big 12. Like it's just sort of like, oh, yeah, they're in the Big 12. Yeah, uh, Makes no sense at all. Nope. But hey, you're right. Here we go. Captain Sunshine, Dan Wetzel. Just 
spreading good cheer across college football. I, I'm country roads. Take me home. <laughs> you know, that's it. Mr. Sunshine here. Uh, all right. Check back with us uh, on uh, midweek. We will have uh, more college football talk. We're probably going to talk a little bit of this FBI college basketball scandal. The, the trials begin this week. One of the trials. Uh, who knows what that is going to produce. Yeah. Uh, so we should have a eventful show. Please subscribe. Please leave us a nice review. Uh, shut up if you have nothing good to say about us. Uh, sp- share it on social media, and uh, we appreciate all you guys. And uh, we'll get Damo back in here, too. So that'll probably anger us. We'll be back to our normal selves. Talk to you all then. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.